0: Hello runners, this is Joy Gamble with The Runner On Air and for this episode we will be discussing COVID-19 and our beloved faculty members at CSUB. Our first guest is Dr. Charles McQueary. Enjoy!
1: I used to try to uh, uh, technology to like, like Second Life, which is, which is two, uh, kind of a 2D virtual world. Um, I, I guess I just, I, I, I...
0: Like, do you think technology would prevent you from like getting the full experience or do you just try to embrace it as much as you can?
1: Hmm. So it's not the same clearly, is it, I, I, I miss the face-to-face. Um, yeah. I, I love cycling into my office and being, being there in my office during office hours. I, I have a VR lab set up in my office. So students can come in and they can try the VR goggles. I can put them on. There's this great one called um, um, The Book of Distance. It's, it's about the Japanese internment camps in Canada at World War II. But it, oh, yeah. it, it's, about, it's about a 20-minute experience. But when I experienced it, it was, it was such a deep feeling of empathy. Like the very thing you want a really good novel to do, I think. Um, so, so I like the fact that I'm there face to face, but I also there, am, am there to, to introduce students to the technology that, that can simulate presence as well. Um, it, it did stimulate, it, it, it was amused in the sense that it, it, um, it, it inspired me to, to write a grant and now to be revising a grant for, it's like $150,000 grant to, to bring VR, VR equipment to students at Porterville College. Well, English, English students at Porterville College and English students. English led students at as CSUB as well. Uh, wow, and the that's... idea is that, that we want we want it to enhance. So um, it's I, I think it's opened, it's opened various possibilities. And uh, I, I I was really reluctant on Zoom because I I I mean I'm actually a Luddite. Like I, I hate to talk on the telephone. just <laughs> I get so much anxiety disembodied... if
0: someone calls me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't, I, I I mean I've never uh, I even my mom, I didn't like to talk to her on the telephone. I don't like disembodied voices like that and um, never have, but FaceTime is different. Like you can actually see the person you're talking to, feels like yeah. you can actually communicate more effectively. So it's a good question and, and I've I, I found it inspirational. It just opens so many possibilities. I look forward to going back face-to-face and yet also having these technologies to augment and enhance uh, the, the, the teaching and learning experience for, for all of us. So I think it's been a great thing actually.
0: I think it has too, and that actually, um, this next question, I, I think, all right. <laughs> so do you think the, the pandemic has revolutionized technology when it comes to education?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it, it's almost a rhetorical question. It absolutely has, there's no question. Yeah. Because no, uh, so many people never would have even thought about using this in terms of professors or students. I wouldn't have even, like Zoom, uh, I was, I was teaching, um, I was team teaching a Shakespeare class with Zoe Saba, uh, who's retired, dang her, um, because she, she made the Shakespeare classes so good because she was, she was a theater professor. And so we, it would be, it would be the lit part and the theater part and we did it together. It was- Act one it of the, out. <laughs> it, was one of the, it was really one of the joys of my, of, of, of my teaching life. But, not, not, um, but she's the one that, that, I wanted to do something like Second Life or some, something like that. And she said, "No, no, come on, Charlie, let's do Zoom," and I was reluctant. Um, but she was absolutely right, and I, I've come really, um, I've, I've come become fond of, of Zoom. It, Zoom, it works. Uh, it works for yeah. fairly really big classes too. So, um, yeah, I, it's changed the world. It, it'll change the world of higher education, probably for good and for ill. But
0: I really think um, it, like, on the technology um, topic. I think it definitely is opening up. Like I had no idea about the virtual like reality goggles. I knew that it would probably be a possibility one day, but in my lifetime, like I had no idea oh how fast like technology is growing. And I think this was almost like, um, ooh, I don't want to use the wrong word, but um, like an excuse, like the pandemic was an excuse for all of these tech professionals to just revolutionize the entire world it's yeah. absolutely just amazing that this has happened at least <laughs> like out of all the bad that is definitely yeah <laughs> no,
1: i agree it's it's in that way it's really been quite marvelous it's because it's it almost looks like a, it's it's like a forced adaptation like if you think in terms of, of natural selection we, we we would we we would have been very slow to adapt but it's a force adaptation yeah. that that I think makes us stronger as, as, as a culture, especially in terms of higher education. We can do so much more now.
0: Yeah, it's almost like Darwinism, like yeah. <laughs> uh, survival of the fittest, like, all right, like, let's just make it work, you know? Yeah. So um, I also, I wanted to bring this up because I mean, the reliance of technology is very prevalent now, but how do you feel about its impact um, on humanity, since we're using it so heavily now, do you think there's
1: okay, that's some t- negative? Cause, cause it, it's yeah, just technology. Because we, I mean, we saw we saw you know the march on the Capitol building, and we saw people in these weird bubbles where they're they're in these feedback loops, um, which are beyond you know beyond reality checks or fact checking. So they b- b- believe these just absurd things. Um, that was not certainly not part of you know my my childhood and adolescence in, in, in Lancaster California, which was quite a conservative place in, in many respects. But it, but it was kind of um, it, it was also it, during my lifetime at least it was it was fairly integrated. It was there it, a lot of military there that worked out at Edwards Air Force Base, and the military in, in those days was pretty good. It was better than society in general, I think, at integrating. Um, but the, but but there wasn't a lot of i mean i don't know it just it just strikes me somehow that these technology is allowed for us to lose a common frame of reference and that common frame of, re- of reference is crucial to a culture i don't know how we get it back again i don't know how we go back to you know to walter cronkite, C- cronkite or dan rather or you know, the, the, the everyone watched. You know, one of three news programs. All three news programs were by you know by educated journalists, who they had you know the, the goal of almost every university in mind, which was veritas. It's truth. Like they were gonna really try and get it right. And if they aired, they would they would they would they would uh, they they would offer apologies later on, as journalists are meant to do. That's all. So technology has allowed that weirdness to happen, where yeah,
0: and it's that human like we want some kind of um connection to other people and i think it's almost um arguably does it have to be in person anymore and that's what uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen that trippy movie um with joaquin phoenix called her oh yeah
1: yeah that's like really, that's very he was
0: happy though you know
1: well, he, he was happy he, with her with alan watts though he, because he was so <laughs> yeah um, yeah, well, 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 there there is that. I, I, I think I think technology can offer a sense of connection for people, which is can be good. My problem isn't that. I think I think that sense of connection can be good. My problem is my problem is when it becomes a where we lose that common frame of reference and people start to believe that there are lizard people, you know, shooting Jewish laser beams from space, and they actually they they believe it, and they will march on the capital. Uh, it's just, it's bizarre. It's not an America I even recognize. And I do think part of that is to do with technology.
0: I think so too. I've, um, as a millennial, this may sound shocking, but I've taken a break from social media entirely since about a year ago. I think I, um, in February is when I deleted it. For that reason, I felt like um, the anxiety of the world, like, uh, Pre-COVID, right about where we were knowing about COVID, and you know everyone was freaking out about politics, and it was just such a bad, negative, just ding on my phone all the time, just like something going off about something, and it. it was just um, I definitely had to take a break from that oh, side dude, for that reason. Yeah,
1: you know, I'm, I'm saying these things, and I, I'm thinking it through. Though, I mean, I've, I've been very upset. I'm 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 not terribly political. I I, I don't think I'm terribly political, really. Right? Um, but I've been, I've been just increasingly horrified by, by, by our representative, by Kevin McCarthy. I actually wrote the first time I've ever, ever really written a stroppy letter to a politician, just so, <laughs> because that's part of it too, like he knows better. What strikes me is, is yeah. also this failure of leadership and you can't blame it on technology because they know better, they get the briefings, uh, they, but they are, try, they are trying to hold together a coalition. So, and they've got to get the, you know, the people on the extreme right you know the the Proud Boys and and, and the crazy, you know, the fairly crazy white supremacists. I think they're afraid if they lose them, they may never win another election, which actually may be true. Um, on the other hand, it's just incumbent upon someone like like McCarthy. He did this briefly, and even Mitch McConnell did it briefly after after the, the you know the the assault on the Capitol. Uh, but then they, they they he's gone back to this. Well, just. Furthering the lie. I mean, not telling the truth. Um, yeah, I do, and the, I I, the media. The media is
0: very, ah, you yeah.
1: know. <laughs> I, I, think I, I I kind of want. I, I mean, this would not be uh, popular with President zalesny but I think CSUB ought to ought to sanction Kevin McCarthy. He's a graduate of our institution, and what he's not going. He has so little respect for truth, and for doing the right thing. It, it it just I just find it, it it's a disgrace to our university. It, it's I, I'm horrified by it, uh, but I can't you can't I can't blame the technology for that. It's something else. I bet
0: I bet there's yeah I I agree. Um, I bet there's more professors that may feel this way too. So um, we should definitely like kind of dive deeper into that. Maybe um, like on, on a different podcast. Yeah. Later on, because if I gather some professors, I'm who are willing to, you know, talk about him, and you know, express their opinion. I think that would be really cool
1: to yeah. talk about. And I will t- I, I want to take it to the, the the Senate and see if the Senate will officially sanction uh, or censor. I don't know what it, what effect it would have, <laughs> but at least to take a stand. Like this isn't okay. Yeah.
0: The dignity. Yes. <laughs> um, Sorry, so I,
1: I got off the I got off the topic of technology. But no, technology you're is okay. I, you think,
0: answered my question. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I think this is another rhetorical question, but um, do you ha- do you think the future of ed- education might be changed
1: forever? Yes, I, I think I think that's certainly going to be true. I think I think uh, higher education is in in trouble in some ways too. Um, this isn't unique to me, but it, we've gotten confused about what our purpose is, I think, in terms of higher education and higher education was academia was, was, was a, was a kind of a separate culture and the culture that it was pursuit of truth, right? That that's what higher education, uh, what university was about. Um,
0: it was not nearly it, as expensive either, which is kind of, no, um, questionable now. Right. Why There's, does it need? So expensive, you
1: know. Well, I think what happened in part um, is is businesses used to train their employees, and they offloaded the, the you know the business major the business major onto us. Whereas part of what we do is is train people, where well, that's not really what the university was about per se. Um, if you look back, it was it was four years. Where a big part of what university was was time. So that students at the university had four years. They didn't work, almost never worked. They had four years to study cultivate themselves as as intellects, um, uh, you know, to, to read and think and have interesting discussions. Um, and then and then uh, training usually would be part of the job they got, you know, after university. But a lot of what, what we become, we even have these things, I just had to do a bunch of them, these student learning outcomes. And uh, think things where we're, we're more, we're moving to a model where we actually are about training. And we have to have these clear outcomes, because what our goal is is not to pursue truth, but to help the markets and to help our uh, to help to make sure our students find gainful employment. Um, so it's 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 always was always a part of it. Like if you got a B.A. degree, your odds of getting a, a, a good job later were are always in, you know greatly vastly improved. And, and there's a great book by a guy named uh, Brian Kaplan. It's called uh, The Case Against Edu- Education, and 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 he points out that. This remains true, it, it, but in a mysterious way. Like he, he, he found, in his he was he's a, an he's a, he's a, a economist a and a statistician. He found if you looked at if you compared if someone someone studied French or, or or took a class in French, and they took a class in um in business, who who is who who is doing better ten years after you're graduating? And he so said- so it is business. No, it's not though. Uh, what said, it's the one that studies French. <laughs> And he says, I cannot explain. I can't explain these outcomes, and nobody can really. We don't know why it happens this way, but but think about it. Maybe if you're going up into a to a higher tier in, in a university, part of what uh, people want would, would have confidence in the people that is being cultivated, and that there would be something about you know knowing French, or or, or having a you know a, a broader education that you made you more, I don't know, more more appealing, you know, ten years out. So so right when you first graduate you might do better with you know a strict business degree but 10 years out 15 years out actually it's it would be a, it would be one of the the liberal arts degrees that might you know you would do better at it's an, i wonder it, it's if that would be, sorry
0: i um i wonder if that would be similar um to music cuz that's part of the liberal arts
1: right I, absolutely I, I think that's certainly true yeah. Because well, part, partly, I mean, my, my daughter's an art major, uh, which I'm delighted about. Uh, but I also know she could always, if, if she wants to do an MBA, if she, if she gets practical after, that's a training that would come, that, that she might go into afterwards. Or if she wanted to go to a school of design, the RISD, or something like that, that the training would come afterwards. But I, I, I'm so delighted, uh, and I'm delighted with my students that, that are able to do this as well, that, um, that, that they start, study something that really interests them. I think,
0: I, yeah, I feel like that's also what makes them shine too. Is when they're doing something that they love and they're successful at that because they're confident.
1: But it's too expensive, though. It, should, it shouldn't be nearly that as expensive as it is. See, yeah, I mean, I've, I have students who who do the BA and MA, and you know, they're over hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty thousand dollars in debt.
2: Um, yeah,
1: at a state school in California. That's um. I,
0: I wonder if this um, this pandemic will also, cause I mean, my um, subsidized loans have not been accruing any interest since the pandemic. So that's, I mean, that was beneficial for me and probably so many others out there when it right. comes to like uh, changes in, well, you know, I like at least money and education.
1: Right, and, and to kiss the ring, to, to, to get back to it, the, the point was about technology. And technology should uh, make it a great deal cheaper. I mean, I think yeah. one of the, the one of the big boondoggles that CSUB did was build that new dormitory. And then the, the rooms in those dormitories are expensive. And, 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 and empty. Expensive. <laughs> yeah, and they're empty. Empty but, right but, now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, but they wanted they wanted to to it was like a business model where they wanted to make the, this premium experience. Um, and so they, 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 so they wanted to build the dorms. They wanted to, they brought in the franchises for food, um, but it, it, it's missing the point of what higher education is about. And maybe technology takes us back to what it's about. It's about, well, it's about this. Like I'm learning from you, you're learning from me. We're, we're having, you know, a, 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 these discussions. And I
0: think you have a good point because I mean, then you're kind of forced to focus only on the content and nothing around you except your four walls in your bedroom or your office or whatever. I think wow. you do have a really great point.
1: Cause they spend so much on the physical part of it. Um.
0: <laughs> like the rock wall. Have you seen CSUB's rock wall the in, the gym? in the, the,
1: the gym? Yeah. It's
0: phenomenal and it's not being used.
1: <laughs>
3: <Wow>. <laughs>
0: it's, it's crazy. I definitely think that the future of education is going to be changed forever. Um, for that exact reason that you said, the technology is um, cheaper or it may be cheaper. We actually don't know that yet. And also it brings back that focal point to why we're here. I think that is, right. I would have never thought about that on my own. So thank you. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's, I hadn't thought about it either. Actually, we kind of worked there together, but yeah, it's it's, it's going to make education more about education. Um, yeah. Well, that's what I do. I'll, I'll, I'll I, I share this with my students all the time. Now I came across the word andragogy and I've, I, I'm deeply I, I'm taken with the word, the word andragogy because it opposes the pedagogy. Like pedagog the the ped in pedagogy means child. It's educating children, um, and but andragogy is is uh, educating adults. Um, oh, and, I do. and I do think that 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 the line between university and K through twelve had, had been kind of got really fuzzy, where a lot of the the they they. They want us to teach our university courses like high school or grade school um, teachers teach children. But it's not, it's just not the same thing. And, and I, so I maybe agree. technology will. Us
0: back. So what I actually found out um, about two semesters ago, I wanted to change my major from English major with credential emphasis to English major with with literature emphasis. And I was like, OK, maybe I just want to be a college professor. But then realizing even if you have your master's degree in English, you still have to go get your credentials no matter what. You have to get your credentials in order to teach um, any kind of secondary school.
1: Yeah, any any public any public school.
0: Any public, yeah. Sorry, so so public school systems. Um, yeah, and I, I was like, what's <laughs> like what's the point if um if I want to teach high school anyways, I might as well just like start there, and then if I want to go get my master's, at, I I can. But I think what the credential program does is they kind of um make that barrier between pedagogy and I'm I'm gonna butcher the word, but androgogy.
1: Is no, it and- right. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> But I, I didn't know that because they're so different and they kind of put them in this, their own little category and you have to get certified to be, to, to teach them. So, yeah. um, you know, and I thought that, I mean, that's still super important because, you know, kids are very different from adults. So, yeah. yeah. And I actually wanted to make a comment about the future of public education, because I honestly think There's going to be a lot of people still wanting to stay at home on Zoom. And I think that's going to be an option from here on out. I don't know what the school systems are talking about, but um, my cousin, who's a math teacher in the Bay Area for high school students, uh, he's, I mean, he's not wanting to go um, completely online, but I mean, it's so far in the future until their schools will even open at all anymore for um, like actual in-person teaching. I think he said 2022 in February is when they may wow. start. to. I'm like, well, you better get more creative if you're gonna be here a long time. Yeah. So, but I, I, I genuinely think that that's gonna be an option for like maybe kids who just don't wanna go to school or parents who don't want them to be exposed to, you know, just kids in general. But I definitely think that's, that may be just like
1: the norm now. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're, you're right. It'll always be an option now. And it, it, that's a good thing, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, so aside from was it Brian Kaplan, his book? Yeah. Do you have any other novels that you um would recommend to our listeners that perhaps kind of mirror the current state of the world right now? Like, and I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna say like Fahrenheit 451, but maybe more like I'm getting the vibes of Brave New World, but like, do you have any <laughs> newer books or just really good books that you want to
1: recommend to our listeners? Who did you know? Aldous Huxley. Huxley lived out in Yano, down down near per blossom Where? Like, new world. Yeah, he was he was English. He was he he was from the you know the the mighty kind of Huxley family and everything. Sorry, Alexa, turn on third light. Sorry, I, I think I'm all dark. <laughs> I'm too Perfect. Dark. Um,
0: <laughs> the spotlight.
1: Yeah. Uh, 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 Aldous Huxley, the guy that wrote Brave New World, and he wrote Island and Point Counterpoint. He lived. He he loved uh, the Antelope Valley. <laughs> he and his wife Maria, who was Belgian, they lived in in the town of Yano, which is a tiny town uh, north of is it north uh, outside outside of Pear Blossom. So you get Little Rock and Pear Blossom, and he lived out in Yano. There, there's a book called Ape and Essence, which actually is kind of set there, and it's it's post apocalyptic as as well. Um, Ape and Essence. Yeah. So Brave New World's a good one. I I just I recently read Octavia Butler's um, The Parable of the Talents, and she was kind of an amazing. She was so so sci-fi, and I was I was a sci-fi fan from a kid. But it was mostly it was it was Bradbury, uh, it was Isaac Asimov, Frank Herbert, it, it, a bunch of kind of um, uh, geeky, hyper intellectual uh, white guys. Um, Octavia Butler was, is fascinating because she she was an African American sci-fi writer, and she she won. Ooh. Sorry? Spicy.
0: <laughs> yeah, she, I love she, I she love won, sci-fi, I love she sci-fi. She so
1: good. She, she, she won Hugos and Nebulas. And uh, the, the Parable of the Talents is fascinating because it includes VR goggles are or, or part of it. They're called um, dream something, dream, dream goggles or something like that. Uh, it, but it's, 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 it's a, a story that is, is post-apocalyptic. It, it, you, can, you can see the parallels to today. And she goes from LA, she escapes from LA and uh, ends up, she's uh, up here for a while. She heads up the coast to to Eureka and Arcata. Um, but it's, 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 it's very interesting in terms of that. Um, there's also Camus, Albert Camus' The Plague. Um, and, and you know, one, I, I just put, I, I run the websites, the English department websites. So I just took Camus, Camus down. I had, um, there was a reading of, of Camus. Um, it was by Viggo Mortensen. He was doing a reading from Albert Camus' uh, the, the Plague. But I just switched it out with uh, Daniel Defoe's uh, um, Journal of of, of the Plague Year. And it really speaks to me of this time as well.
0: Our next guest is Dr. Melissa Danforth.
2: So yes, I am a, a faculty member in the computer science department. And so my... Main teaching in the past few years has been in my specialty area, which is cybersecurity, so doing cybersecurity electives or computer science senior project, uh, a couple of computer science core classes, which is part of where my fall craziness came from was I had to take a core class on five days before the semester began that I have never taught before. Uh, so I've also been uh, the department chair so you'll see my teaching is somewhat intermittent because as a department chair you get release time from teaching to handle chair administrative duties as well. Wow, that's
0: a lot of tech stuff <laughs> um, so do you have to um, like did so how did you prepare for this pan like how like because I briefly um, saw that Damian Lopez he's um, one of the multimedia team members on the runner and he said that he heard you at the walk and talk and that it was kind of like it, it almost broke you like something happened and it was very difficult for you to do the virtual teaching.
2: So for me, my preparation was originally the classes I was planning to teach in fall, which is my cybersecurity elective that I developed way back when we were on the quarter systems. And and I always like to do topical materials in that class. So only about half of the lectures are planned materials out of the textbook because I try to bring in something that's happening in cybersecurity that semester for the other half. And when I was doing that in person, it worked really well because you know like, fall 18. We had a breach at the Bakersfield City uh, payment processor system. Bring up the Bakersfield Californian article, bring up the KGET news story, you know put that on the projector and, and have a nice good conversation back and forth, work on the whiteboard a little bit, and you know there, there goes your 70 minutes or so for that particular lecture, just e- evaluating that topical event. Trying to translate that to an online environment, you know, you can still show the news article, you can still share the video, but uh, because online has a different dynamic, getting that conversation going is very difficult. And I understand students have all sorts of things going on in their household where they're not wanting to turn on their mics or things of that nature but it really changed the dynamic there. So I had to do a lot more slide preparation and I am not a slide lecturer person. I am a whiteboard lecturer person. I like to use the big expanse of the whiteboard and students know me. I come in with a whole array of different colored markers so I can do all (laughs) different color highlighting and not having that ability to do that in a virtual world. That was part of the difficulty for my established classes. Like I actually had to create slide decks for every lecture. I was doing something I call just-in-time teaching where you know my, my cybersecurity class is at four o'clock and I might still be working on the slide deck at three o'clock trying to copy things over from the textbook and add links from recent news articles. And that's just for me a very different way of teaching than what the way I normally teach. I'm normally very much whiteboard discussion, whiteboard discussion and having to switch more to a pure PowerPoint lecture mode, it just doesn't work well for me.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there's plenty of teachers that feel that way. I mean, I <laughs> was planning on never having to really rely on technology. Um, I'm very naive <laughs> for thinking that, but um, yeah, I w- I've would. i been mentioning this um, to other faculty members, and it's just crazy how the world has had to adapt to this new virtual reality that we're all pretty much living in separately, but together. And it's kind of, um, hard for those teachers who had to completely change their routine that they've had for years. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm not in that, uh, part yet because I'm, I'm working on my I will be working on my credentials next semester. So hopefully everything will get a little bit back to normal. But as for now, you know, the new norm is virtual. And um, so when you film um, or when you have class through Zoom, do you have a whiteboard now and you just use it through Zoom or like, so what do you do now?
2: So uh, for both of those classes, and i should say i i also had that class that i took on unexpectedly five days before fall started and that was an entirely different headache uh <laughs> for that one I, I i just had to apologize to the students to begin again with i'm like we're gonna be using the textbook slides and then i like the textbook slides annoyed me and i started having to add my own slides in there uh but what i was going to try to do is i actually have a, a, a Laptop that has tablet mode, and I was going to try to use that to do like OneNote and share OneNote so you can do a virtual whiteboard. Unfortunately, my tab, my laptop kept overheating, and so it was. Oh my weird. gosh! And so I, I, I prototyped that out during the summer, like I was going to do that to try to replicate the whiteboard environment by using OneNote, and I tried it out during the summer, and the laptop kept overheating so much that I just gave up on it. So what I ended up doing was. As much as I hate slides, PowerPoint slides, and then using the annotation options in Zoom to be able to add little notes over the slides. So as we're going through in the lecture, bring up the text annotation box and add some notes, or you know, bring out the little circle annotation and highlight things. And I, I really got familiar with how to use those annotation modes in Zoom to make up for the fact that I didn't have a whiteboard, and I don't have a physical whiteboard that I could just show to the camera or anything like that. I know some of the faculty at my department do have physical whiteboards behind them and they just lecture at their physical whiteboard. I tried to adapt to the virtual world by using slides as much as I dislike slides and using annotations on the slides to highlight things and probably you know use the mouse in the, what do they call it? The, the highlighter mode where it's like a little pin, pinprick of red light that you can go across your screen and it's a little more visible than just the mouse pointer. So that was kind of my approach. I know other faculty took different approaches.
0: Yeah, I've seen um, a lot of cool features on Zoom and I have experience with my classes now. And um, a lot of teachers have been using those breakout rooms to do like group work. And I had not even known that there was like a feature like that. So it sounds like the tech world for teaching is definitely like expanding. Um, Is anybody else like any of your colleagues in your department like um, how are they teaching math and science and um, was it the natural science math and engineering program so NSME um, how how are they doing online like do you do you have any like faculty members that pop into your head?
2: So uh, one actually. (laughs) So so we actually have a little faculty discord channel for my department, that not everyone's on. But one of them I mentioned, I was heading into this interview and he's like, tell her the story about my webcam. So I'll tell you the story okay, about his sorry. webcam. He's a faculty member at CSUB, his wife is an elementary school teacher. One of their webcams broke a couple of weeks ago. They can't order another webcam because it's all backordered on Amazon. So they've been shuttling one webcam back and forth between their classes, just, you know, oh my god some classes he has to be a disembodied voice because his wife needs the webcam to teach her class and and that's some of the challenges they're facing i had another faculty member email me over the break similar story my webcam broke you know what are we going to do and like i said my webcam has been malfunctioning as well lately but fortunately i have an array of microphones so i can at least be a disembodied voice if i can't get the video working so those are the challenges I've heard from faculty in my area uh, and I know some people tried I even tried this too some of us tried buying these these Wacom tablets you know to see if we could use that to do math formulas and whatnot for me oh wow trying to write on this thing while it's you know while you don't actually have a screen you just have to kind of blindly write on this Wacom tablet that doesn't work very well other people said it worked well for them that they can bring up the whiteboard and zoom write their math formulas and they've they figured it out for me it's just too much of a a disconnect of not being able to see as I'm writing like having to write down down here on the tablet and look on the screen to see if it's actually
0: yeah because it's almost like you're (laughs) kind of relying on here but you're making sure that it's coming up on here I feel like it would be more of a distraction than anything um that's why I'm definitely leaning more towards the whiteboard when I start teaching. So like a really big whiteboard and a space that I would need, but also like, you know, there could be a webcam problem, (laughs) you know, like somebody might, somebody in this household might need another webcam for doing their zoom. And it's just, there's so many like tech things happening right now and there's also, I think, I feel like this pandemic is also realizing um, how we can improve like technology because we're seeing all of these problems when it's being overused. Um, I talked to Dr. McQueary and he said he was, um, he wanted to do a trial of like these virtual 3D um, like goggles for his classes. And I was just like amazed, I'm like, wow. So there's lots of advancements happening in the tech world. Um, Do you have any like advice for teachers who are struggling right now? Like what has been your biggest um, learning experience through all of this?
2: So I, 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 part of the reason why I mentioned in Walk and Talk that fall almost broke me was because I realized at around Thanksgiving that I was basically getting up, eating breakfast, sitting down at the computer, preparing slides, grading assignments, you know, teaching class, taking a lunch break, coming back doing the same, taking a dinner break, coming back doing the same and then rolling into bed. And so I was spending pretty much the whole day other than meal breaks and, you know, all other sorts of life breaks, working on classes and on weekends, I was spending four to five hours on the weekends doing lecture prep or grading or things of that nature. And, I was watching a YouTube video on Thanksgiving weekend from someone who talked about why they quit Buzzfeed. And she was talking about how she was having panic attacks physically, separately. Like she didn't feel like she was having a panic attack but her body was having a panic attack. And I realized that that was pretty close to what I was experiencing at the start of November was you know, my body was having panic attacks separately from my brain. I didn't feel like I was having a panic attack but my body was having all those stress indicators and so now i'm trying to be really conscientious this semester of you know accepting a good enough teaching experience that I'm not trying to make it exactly equivalent to how i would do an in person class just for my own mental and physical health like you know making sure i take those breaks i was oh, yeah. doing you know i was doing like 12 hour days 10 hour days regularly uh, you know 60 hour weeks were not uncommon throughout the fall semester. And that's just not sustainable. And at some point, even if you don't feel mentally like you're, you're breaking, your body's going to have those stress reactions. And that was kind of my wake up call at Thanksgiving. I actually even asked the campus for an extension on my grading. So I for uh, my classes, I told them I apologize. But you know because I gave you guys an extension on turning in your project, I've asked the campus for an extension on turning in the final grades so that I don't have to work. You know, from the time I yeah. get up to the time I get to bed, to get your grades in, and and so, I got the grades in a little bit late, but had that extension from the campus to do that, just so that I was not wearing myself out further.
3: I feel
0: like you're bringing up a really good point because those breaks really do matter, <laughs> because like if you think about it, you can have a full schedule um, of classes, and there's still breaks. In, in between those classes when you have to leave and then walk to another classroom or it's break time like or get in your car for uh, lunch and drive somewhere and then or just you know like there's so many um, in-person breaks that we didn't realize that we had from all of these um, like just you know like being a student or being a teacher and I feel like people who aren't tech savvy you know and they had to switch over they've had to dedicate so much time like you said like you weren't taking any breaks cuz you just wanted to get it down and get it done and like it's all on your computer so I, I think that's a really good point and that's really really good advice to tell people make sure you take those breaks like go on a walk go eat go and do something that's going to like benefit your mental health because constantly being not only glued to something but glued to something that's um like technology, it is very, very anxiety inducing. And um, I've actually gotten rid of social media for that reason since the beginning of the pandemic, because I felt like I was having to rely on my phone and it wasn't fun to have social media anymore because I was just online all the time. Like looking at my phone gave me anxiety, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah thank you for bringing that up I think that's that's very good advice to take breaks um do you have any uh is there anything that you've had to be creative about um when you do your virtual instruction
2: so I think uh probably my biggest challenge in virtual instructions like I said earlier the the classroom interactivity is different so Mm -hmm. I to you know, go from having the expectation that students would speak on the microphone to instead always keeping the chat screen up on the side, and then telling them that just feel free to put something in the chat and and you know it's um except for the few times that Zoom decided to hide the chat box for me and I had to like fiddle with the Zoom settings to get the chat box back and that way I could respond to their questions in that way and that that seemed to get a little more interactivity going particularly with my core class, you know where they could. Say something in the chat or in my elective class, the cybersecurity class, you know, they might make some jokes in the chat. And I'm like, oh, yeah, great joke, you know. And then, then, so for that, for my cybersecurity class, on the last post I made on the course website, I ended it with a cybersecurity joke since we had this habit of making jokes in chat throughout the semester. Oh,
0: yeah. (laughs) It's funny. My um, one of the team members on the runner, she's been on it for a while. She said, If you guys put something in in the chat that you know that I'm going to understand that reference, and for her, it's the Lord of the Rings, Elvish language. (laughs) So there's this ongoing joke with that. And it's it's fun, like when these teachers and students, you know, like we just have to add those like creative moments and those, I don't know, just those moments that keep people sane. when we're all trying to just, you know, like engage and learn and try to make this a really good experience for us. But um, yeah, I think that was all the questions I had. So thank you so much for like making time
2: to talk to us. Yeah, Yeah, I guess uh, I, I really want to get that experience out there because I know, I know students had a really variety of experiences with faculty members and Some may have been more committed than others, but just want them to understand that for those of us who are really interested in student success and and interaction, it's been difficult. Just like you said, just missing out on the ability of running into a student walking in from the parking lot or walking out to the parking lot and having that conversation about how their day is going or, you know, having those hallway conversations or the tutoring center or the study room conversations, missing out on those, it's difficult.
0: Yeah, I actually talked about that um, in a previous meeting with a faculty member, and he was saying that um, maintaining and building those new relationships with students and their parents, because he uh, teaches third grade and college. So, um, yeah, he really was trying to emphasize, like, let's like keep these going, like I will schedule a Zoom session just to talk to you, just to see how you are doing, you know, because we aren't, you know, like passing in the hallway saying hi to one another and um, building those relationships and just maintaining that I think is so important when we can't do it in person.
2: Yeah, like my department, we use Discord cause we're, we're tech people. And so I can remember at the very end of the semester when the final project was due for my core class and I had like half a dozen different people in different private messages in Discord. I'm like, let's all go over to a collective, you know, group. And so we we did a, a class channel on Discord there, and it was really useful because the students could see that the other students were struggling with the project. And you know, then then we got into a side conversation after the project was due about people like, oh well, I'll see you again next semester because I don't think I'm going to pass. And you know, no, no, you're okay because this is one of those D means degree sort of classes. And, and almost everyone was at least at that range or higher, but, you know, just having those, those were conversations that I would normally have during the end of the semester of reassuring students, you know, you don't have to get a wonderful grade to pass this class. And we know it's hard. It's a very hard class. It's exceedingly hard class. And, and so it's, try to find those digital analogs to have those connections and have those rallying points and let people know they're not the only ones feeling this and hopefully.
0: Next on our list of faculty members is Dr. Eddie Gonzalez. And um, can you tell us about all the grades that you teach? Because I know you teach Third grade, and then you also teach college. Um, is there any other grade?
3: Um, let me see. So I've uh, so I've taught uh, grades. I last taught. Sorry, I'm turning on a light here. <laughs> I uh, I last taught <laughs> third grade, and then right now I work in new teacher support at, uh, at in the Bakersfield City School District. So I'm working with all new teachers coming out of CSUB. But I've also taught no. six through twelve.
0: So are you like a mentor to those teachers?
3: Uh, yeah, it, it's, um, so what, where I work at specifically, it's, it's called the Kern Urban Teacher Residency, and it's a partnership between CSUB and BCSD. And uh, all the new resident teachers that come in, I work in that program to help support all the initiatives that come out of, a, out of the Citizen Science Grant from CSUB.
0: So then I'll probably be meeting with you <laughs> for yeah. that, because I graduate like this Yeah, this May. So I'll probably see you. (laughs) Um, So uh, my advisor thought it was a great idea to talk to um, teachers um, who have been forced to do virtual learning and make it just as effective during COVID and you were honestly one of the first people that popped into my head because of all the activities and all the people that you talk to and like I said like there's so many um, things out there like platforms that we can all use but it's getting teachers to actually Learn it, and then also teach it to their students. And I think that requires a lot of time and patience. So I applaud you for that. But also, um, can you tell us like how like how it is? Um,
3: yeah. So, right now. So I, I have kind of a couple of perspectives on it. One is that when uh, when I was teaching third, is when the lockdowns first started. So that was um, that was pretty that that was tough starting out. And then um, I did summer school also at, for third graders and then um, before I transitioned over to this role. So in my opinion, what it really, what a lot of it also comes down to is some of the, the same factors that we'll see in, um, in, re- in a regular physical setting, which is building relationships, except it gets a little bit more difficult trying to build a relationship when you're not in person. And so sometimes I think we kind of take for granted uh, like shaking someone's hand or, you know, the, the smile, the helpful smile, or, you know, little things like that. But, but uh, so go, going back to your question, what platform or programs are the best ones? I think that it doesn't matter what program or platform you use, what's most important is how you're reaching out to kids and parents independently of the platform that you're using. And so that can be things like cell, uh, uh, phone calls, Emails, making a little video to introduce yourself to parents, um, notes that are going home, sending parents updates, inviting parents to be a part of what's going on in the class, or inviting them um, to to help out in, in any way that you can. So it's it, it whatever you use, it's going to be good. You know, especially if you take ownership and you believe it, and you want to, and you you also are constantly trying to like improve the your practices with it. But most important is just gonna be how do you build relationships with with your community when you, you don't get to see your community in person?
0: Yeah, um, I think it was Cecilia that you interviewed last year and she's a third grade teacher, right? Or fourth yeah. grade, I remember. Yeah but she had created like this whole beautiful website and there was like a parent's letter and then there was a student's letter. And then there was like all these icons with her little like bitmoji on there. And she's like, click here, if you wanna go to this assignment and just like the whole thing. And I'm like, have these teachers been swarming you like trying to find out how like to do this online? Because there's a lot of people who struggle with technology.
3: So that that's the next part the next part is that uh so like I have what my own expertise is in but then I learn a lot from seeing what other people have so I think uh the next piece is just um, as a teacher encouraging other teachers to share what they're doing so that people can see it so for example what works for me may not be what works for somebody else and that's okay uh but it but it's but again what's most important is that you take, of the ownership of of what you're doing so you know you kind of look at it like with a critical eye and think about how you can improve that practice and then that you keep improving with it especially right now all the companies with uh whether it's zoom or um, google classroom there's always updates coming out and there's always new little things that they're adding to those updates and so just trying to stay on top of how you can better support kids and you know and the people that, that that you're serving
0: yeah I actually um there is little features that I've been noticing on Zoom like I didn't know that you could record. I also didn't know that you could use breakout rooms for group work and that to me like I was like baffled in the best way. I was like, this is amazing like they're like technology I talked to um Dr Charles mcquery sorry <laughs> um he actually was telling me about these virtual 3d glasses that he wants to use for like classrooms and i was like wait what like my mind is blown and we were just talking about how technology has revolutionized teaching and you know just like all technology in general it's getting so great and he kind of brought up how like humans just we all kind of adapt to what we need and we're kind of forced to make these um these advancements, you know, and, you know, if we didn't have COVID, who knows if we would have gotten this far. Um, do you have any specific stories, um, like regarding COVID that really like, like, hang on, there was this question. Um, do you find yourself like having more problems online with COVID um, and the pandemic, or is it actually easier to work around people than in person? Like, um, so since, sorry, so let me reword this. Since you are kind of making your own schedule with the virtual learning, is it easier for you um, to make that schedule since you don't have to be somewhere in person? Or is it kind of the same, just being a teacher?
3: So I've noticed, I've noticed that there's different pe- people are affected differently in, in different ways with it. And so um, the the level of work that I've seen has jumped up significantly in the sense that if you had lessons that you did last year, they're more difficult to implement in a virtual setting just because the the nature of how it is so for example one of the things that I, I like to do is I like to have student-led events and uh, and in the last few years I would have I would host like my my CSUB class at the schools that I worked at and then the kids would lead like a workshop and and then teach the adults how to do something and so I, I kind of tried to set that type of thing up virtually but it was it's difficult because um, so for one, when you're learning from somebody and when you're doing something, there's typically even just like physically a type of um, a type of adjustment that takes place. So if, if I'm sitting here and a fourth grader is teaching me how to code, like the fourth grader standing above me. And so even just the dynamics of like the physical presence is different and like the kid will be there pointing and, you know, and so it, it does a thing. It does a certain thing to the adult where it's like, oh, wow, you know, like they, this is a different power dynamic that I'm not that I'm not used to. So. So that's totally different, but that can't happen like in the physical space. And then there's also like kind of a buzz in the room that can happen when uh, you know when things are going really well. And then online, it's a different buzz. But I, I think my my point with answering your question is that there's different challenges and some of the challenges you don't see them until you're there, but then there's also opportunities. And those opportunities you don't see them either until you're there so one of them is when i was teaching summer school and uh, with third graders the what i realized was like oh goodness like all the parents are sitting right off the screen and then i'm like wait that's a pretty high percentage of parent participation which is what we dream about and what we always hope for you know and so then uh, what i started doing is i started inviting the parents to participate now so then the next uh, issue is like okay well um, some of the parents that some of the parents don't speak English. so is that an issue is that an opportunity? So we so I started like splitting my presentations in half and when we would read we would have a lesson the, the reading in Spanish and then the reading in English because the, the parents were Spanish speakers. So then now for the first time something that I'd never been able to do in person was that I could have um, I could have the parents reading to the kids during class and instruction and then I could tell the kid, you know, turn to who who's next to you, and it, sometimes there's it a sibling, but there was always a, there was always somebody there. And now I had like this this really rich um, uh, dialogue taking place between family members, or, or younger siblings, or older siblings, or parents, or guardians, or whoever's there. And that's not possible in um, in a physical space, you know, unless you you go out and you invite everybody, and then everybody has to make a schedule, and then everybody has to get there. But here it was like, well, if you're there join us it'll take 15 minutes and then you know we'll see you again tomorrow and and they enjoyed it so it's um yeah so there's in some aspects it's harder a lot of teachers are planning a lot more than they've had to plan before because they're putting everything virtually some things that you did before don't work virtually other things that wouldn't have been possible do work virtually and then it's just um it's like constant constant adjust adjusting constantly for for who you're serving
0: Wow, I didn't even think about that. It's kind of just convenient for them to be, you know, already sitting in the background and participating. And then also all these new things like, I don't know, these new um, doors that are being opened and it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, So what do you do if one of your students, um, let's say college or in third grade, both very different. So what do you do for those people? If um, they contract COVID, um, are some people able to still keep working? Are some people like are some people having to drop out? Um, have you had any experience
3: the, with that? The policies are different. The, really, the policies are different um, at the at the school district level. On those, those are different. And you, um, you're. It's all online, but you still um, you still uh, get the the time. Um, I haven't seen the issues. I haven't seen really like too much issues with it yet and i don't know if um you know sometimes people are are keeping it private or i've had people that'll kind of retroactively tell me like hey you know that's something i was going through but i think for me what has made the biggest difference in that because even so so it's one thing if you get COVID, but then it's another thing if somebody really close to you gets COVID because the, the impact is still is still it's still a significant impact like so for example if say somebody next to you had it and then they're quarantining and then you know now all the dynamics in your home have changed and now you're having to care for somebody and so so even if they didn't specifically get it it's still going to affect them drastically right so what our uh, what with our department what what i've appreciated in, in the department of teacher ed is um there's been like a big push for you know for showing grace for showing empathy for being understanding and um i'm i'm straightforward with uh with the university students and i'll say you know you can contact me here let me know what's going on and um you know we'll work around it and 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 figure out you know how we could all get through this together because i think one of the parts especially with college students is that they they are going to be teachers and so how do we model that type of empathy you know, for for our students, Uh that so you you know it's like a chain that you just keep passing down, and uh, and I think um and I think it's worked, and I think it's built uh, stronger relationships, and and sometimes I, I I call it out and I'll say you know um th- this is, you know this is how it is, and and we don't know who's going through what issues, but it's always important, again I think to build relationships and to listen.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really really important that you said that we should model that type of behavior for our students because as teachers, you know, we may be the only person that they can count on like in their life if they have a poor family life. So, you know, we could be the only mentor that they have that understands like life happens and it's going to keep happening. So that was, that that was awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Do you have any advice for struggling (laughs) technology impaired people (laughs) which i belong to that category but i'm getting better thanks to you (laughs) Uh,
3: no i think um i think if you're struggling with it that remember the key part is still the the building the relationships so instead of there's everything's coming fast and just zooming by right now constantly new programs try this try this you know do this literally zooming Yeah, (laughs) everything's literally zooming (laughs) um but but you can't um focus on one focus on one platform on one technology tool on one thing that you feel can improve how you're delivering your instruction and, and how you're building your relationships and then um, and get better at that one and, and just focus on that and what you're going to notice is that uh, for example um, say it's it's canvas or say it's it's a uh, google classroom if that's what you're primarily delivering and delivering your instruction through get good at that and you're going to see that a lot of the things that uh, a lot of like the interface that is on on the canvas is going to apply to the interfaces that you see and on other platforms, and you'll and I guess what I'm saying is the process of teaching yourself or being resourceful and finding those answers is a process that translates over into other platforms. So it's not so much that you learned Canvas; it's how you learned Canvas, and then how you can apply that experience to keep learning other ones. It's basically getting good at how to Google. How can I Google these questions and uh, and find the answers uh, the quickest? The other thing is that everything does come down to relationships and so um a phone call is it's pretty old school but i found a phone call to always be like the most effective uh way so whether yeah. it's like kids like hey parent call the parent talk to them and the, they appreciate the phone call if it's the university student and they're having struggle with like on zoom just give me a call and i'll walk you through whatever the the issue is and it's yeah the voice it's it's powerful
0: yeah and i think another important part of that is making sure that the phone calls are not just because the student is doing badly like we should definitely make these positive phone calls and you know kind of break Mm
3: -hmm. that
0: um stereotypical oh well you got a call from home no yeah yeah, i think that's a really good point so building relationships yeah
3: like I had taught, um, I had taught six through twelve before, but when I taught those levels, there's there's a lot of students, a lot of students, and so it's you can't. There's a lot of things you can't do. But when I thought when I when I went down to third grade, the week before school started, I took it on myself to try and um, try and visit every family and every home, knock on the door, say hi, introduce myself. I'm gonna be the teacher this year. Give them a little flyer and hand it out. And then I I noticed that uh. I, I got a really good reception from a lot of parents. And I think that's what really helped um, as I started out the school year because I had already built like a lot of relationships just by showing up. So when we went online for COVID, the, even with uh, like with summer school, the easiest thing for me to do was do what I had done the year before, except now it was actually easier. I can just call, I could I I'd create a little flyer that would introduce myself, create a little video, text it. And then say, "I'd like to meet you." Is there a time that you know we can set up? And then set up the phone call. And then into the phone call, you know, carry those uh, same little conversations. So consider, consider that when like a parent drops off or a guardian drops off the student at school, and you see them, you can stop and you can pause and have conversations. that you can say, "Oh, hey, how are you doing?" Or even something. Maybe they're wearing like a sports jacket, and you're like, "Hey, did you watch the game yesterday?" So you have those interactions, but you don't get that when you're working virtually unless you go out and look for it but and if you go out and look for it it's going to be there and um and then sometimes you know you can create those conversations by sharing work um you know on sharing uh uh virtually or or even through like a text message and there's there's ways that you don't have to use your phone you can get like a google voice phone number and then make that like your professional line and um and they're like like I said, there's, there's, there's ways around everything and and some things we can't do. And then other things we can do really well.
0: All right. Well, there it is runners. Thank you to Dr. McQuarrie, Dr. Danforth and Dr. Gonzalez for sharing your amazing advice with us today. I will see you next time. Bye.